Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing, and then some. I'm your host, the voiceless, legendary Randy Erickson. So, today's guest is one of those polite Canadians who actually happens to be a really good navigator. Or is Canadian and navigator redundant? Anyway, Bob Miller spent some time talking with me, and we talked about how he got started and how he navigates and why and how he sometimes has been lost and we answer the question did he really not know where he was last year at Expedition Africa so thanks for Bob for being on the show and in other news this week was the internets were all abuzz that Primal Quest was coming back well it is it isn't maybe maybe not they don't have the rights, they have the rights, blah, blah, blah. I think what the AR community wants is a 10-day expedition, 7-10-day expedition race with the field that Primal Quest has. Yeah, it was a big race, it was a hard race, but it really was a close-knit family. Um, racers knew each other. You knew the... You knew the the volunteers, the race directors, the course directors. Um, so it was that chance to get together and see everybody. I think, um, you know, Granted Untamed and the Rev 3 guys at Cowboy Tough have that. Um, I think Gold Rush has that vibe too. So it's not that we want Primal Quest back, but we want that feeling back. So um, we'll see. You know, it may it maybe will be a race called Primal Quest, but it may not be Primal Quest. So, um, once again, thanks everybody at Untamed New England. Sorry if I made you sick, but you can't blame me now. It was a race that did it. So, um, I think that's enough talking for me. So let's hear what Bob has to say. Thanks for listening. Hello. Hey, Bob. This is Randy Erickson. Hey, Randy. How's it going? Good. So. Awesome! I actually just popped back in. I can uh, I can log into Skype if you'd rather do it on Skype. You know, this actually is probably going to be fine. Um, All right, cool. I mean, you sound good, and and uh, actually, I did uh, did an interview with uh, Mary Chandler this week, and we used her phone, so it sounded okay. Oh, that's good to hear. So, yeah. So, well, cool. We we made it, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, sorry about that. Yesterday, I was away. Um, for over a week, and then I hadn't even looked at my calendar since I got home. On I got home like midnight on Tuesday. So, anyways, it's good that we connected. Sorry you had to go to the hospital for your mom. Hope everything's okay. Oh no, it was just a doctor's appointment. So, yeah. oh okay, it's just getting, you know, just getting to the point where she's like, "Can you go with us?" So, yeah, yeah, I hear you. That's great. Yeah, so, um, excellent. So, so I see your house is coming along all right too. It is. So, um, that's cool looks great thanks yeah it's actually not my house i'm building it for a friend of mine so oh are you really yeah so, oh that's cool yeah it's even better because 
he didn't know what he wants. So he's kind of like, do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> right on. That's awesome. Yeah, so so um, before we start, or as you know, we're kind of rolling into it, my impression, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I figure you're probably sitting on the deck every day with a drink with an umbrella in it with your feet up. Is that about right? <laughs> Not even close. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, you're retired. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> uh, no. Well, I wouldn't say I retired. I just it was taking some time off. Yeah. Um, it was more the the training um, and the lead-up to the events that was taking its toll. I yeah. mean, I've been racing for probably 13, 14 years doing, you know, like two to four expedition races a year. So, um, yeah, so it was all that kind of just piling up. And I was training for the world champs last year. I wasn't enjoying it as much. And it was just seeming like a lot of hard work. And, yeah, I just kind of needed a break. So yeah. that was kind of the idea. I was just going to take a break. So I don't know. I don't know if I'll uh, – right now I'm enjoying the time off, that's for sure, and uh, not having the stress of training and just doing stuff for fun. It's a totally different mindset that I haven't had before. So I'm really enjoying that, to be to be honest. So it's great. Yeah, I had uh, that – uh, in 2000, I mean, I had raced for like 20 years and then I, I, yeah. I built our house one summer and the next summer I broke my knee. So it was kind of enforced oh, and I enjoyed it. I mean, I really did. And it refreshed my batteries and, you know, it was, yeah. so, but yeah. And I think that's probably what will happen with me. I mean, I can't say for sure whether I'll, I don't know for sure whether I'll be doing expedition races next year or if i'll find other interests that i want to try and do but um i still obviously really enjoy expedition racing there's just something about that sport that really piques my interest so um yeah yeah but yeah it was good it's yeah. good good to have time off too <laughs> yeah so were you what was it like kind of following expedition africa this year so after doing it oh uh, it was year. cool yeah, I, I mean, I was interested to see how the uh, Team Techno would do, obviously, but uh, I also was really keen to to see how um, our young Canadian fellow that was there, Will Hitchin, was going to do. Yeah. He's, he's a friend. They live not too far from me, so um, that's what I was mostly interested in following along. So mm. uh, it was really cool to see them finish and uh, go. But uh, to be honest, I think I knew I made the, the right choice because – when the races were happening this year, I felt no urge or want to be at any of the races. <laughs> no, no I, yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, so that's cool. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, no, it was good. Um, and actually, just actually, I did just get a call from uh, Karen Lundgren. She sent me a message, and she was asking if I was available for Untamed New England. And uh, I really liked the idea of racing with Karen. Karen and I got along really well. Yeah. Um, and she's racing with, uh, Michael with his team out of Sweden. And mm -hmm. Michael and I chatted about racing a lot in the past. So I was kind of a little bit for a few seconds. I was like, Oh, that'd be really cool, but I'm nowhere near fit enough right now. So <laughs> I couldn't even consider it, but yeah, yeah that was kind of neat. So maybe doing stuff like that and racing with people that I've never been able to race with before would be fun. So who knows? Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. So, I mean, if you decided to race again, would you, would you have to be competitive, or would you consider, you know, just dropping in with a team just to go out and do it and have fun? Yeah, you know what, I think I would consider all options, uh, and I've kind of always been open to that as well, if the right team came along, and I always thought, 
uh, you know, if, if I wasn't as competitive in the future, I'd still enjoy the racing and the experiences and maybe race with some old teammates that I hadn't raced with in a while and just go out for fun. So, yeah, I'd be open to anything, really. Um, obviously, the competition is a big part of why I enjoyed the racing as well. So that would play into it a little bit. But, yeah, I think I'd be open to anything. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. Um, so you said you've been, ra- you know, 13 years. How did How did you get started in this crazy world? Yeah, probably like a lot of people, I saw Eco Challenge on television one summer, and I was probably just coming out of university, and um, I thought it looked kind of neat. And around the same time, some local guys were organizing shorter races in around Ontario, and that's I just jumped in with some friends. We did a few races and just snowballed from there. Uh, the next year, we tried a, an overnight race, and then the year after that, uh, we did uh, Raid the North Extreme in Newfoundland. was my first uh, expedition race in 2001. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, were you relative compet- relatively competitive to start, or did it take you a little while? No, I think I figured out the navigation reasonably early, and and that helped a lot, especially early on when um, the sport was pretty new. So I think that helped with results a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my fitness definitely wasn't where it needed to be, um, but we relied on the navigation a little bit to get us through. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess in the local scene, uh, I became competitive reasonably quickly but internationally it definitely took quite a few years uh to keep up with some of those top teams kind of thing and yeah yeah so okay let's you brought it up so let's get started with it let's let's get into navigation (laughs) (laughs) no problem (laughs) were i mean um did you were you doing anything before you started or did you just learn it when you started racing no yeah I, i learned it when i started racing i had a a how to navigate book with me uh, <laughs> taken to the first race I ever did and I was reading it the night before kind of thing so <laughs> I didn't have any background it was just like learn as you go and make all those mistakes I learned the hard way I didn't really take any courses or do anything I just entered a lot of races and then started doing orienteering races after I got into adventure racing um, and it was just kind of like learn as you go make the mistakes learn from the mistakes and just keep on going with it right so yeah, yeah that's, how, that's how i got started <laughs> yeah well i i think i've told this before on the podcast but when paulette did her first adventure race we went down and she got her maps and we sat at the table and we're like what's a utm <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right eh <laughs> so yeah, it's wild, yeah. but it's cool. I really, I really took to it. I enjoyed the the whole theory behind it, and you know, I, I was whenever I try something new, I'd always read a book or try and figure it out on my own, and then yeah. you know, go and try it. So I think it's one of the best ways to learn is to make those mistakes, and yeah, those, uh, yeah, those those lessons definitely, uh, I guess, get applied a lot better when you when you make the mistake as opposed to just reading or listening to someone else kind of thing. So yeah. I understand, yeah, I understand that. So when you're, when you look at a map, do you can you see what the train is? I mean, I know I've talked to some people that they just they look at the map and they can see it in their head. Is that, I mean, does it work like that for you, or how do you deal with it? Yeah, for for the most part, I mean, there's always some depending on the map and you know what the type of terrain it's covering for the most part i can see it straight away for sure especially now having looked at so many thousands of maps over the years um but there's still some tricky areas where i got to look at it for a little bit and you know 
check out the surrounding terrain and try and deduce, you know, whether it's going up or down. I mean, there's always some really convoluted areas yeah, in, yeah. in certain terrains. So not always, but most of the time I'd say yeah, I can just, I can see it now. So You look at it and see it. I mean, do you fall into the trap of looking at it and thinking you know what you see? And, and, and then you get out there and it's like, oh, wait, now what if, if this isn't what I thought it would be. Oh, for sure. That happens from time to time. And then, yeah, you, you re, readjust on the fly, definitely. <laughs> that can happen. Yeah, you think something's up and it ends up being down, and you're like, oh, shit, oh, it doesn't look like what I thought. But, yeah, yeah, definitely that happens from time to time. <laughs> so, but um, So tell me if this, this story is true. This is the quote I heard last year in Africa when you guys were on the ridge in the fog and the clouds. You, yeah. You said that it was the first time in your life you didn't know where you were. I don't know if I remember saying that because there's probably a lot of times when <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where I was. So I can't say that I remember saying that, but who knows? I might have said it. Yeah. But um, in that scenario, yeah, we. I mean, we made a big mistake before we got onto the ridge. And it was really funny when I looked at the, the tracker after the race. Um, that our tracker had gone out of communication for probably about a half, or probably about a couple hours, and we, I was making these parallel feature errors on these um, river valleys that were going along this um, this one main river, and we were trying to find a checkpoint before the one before we got onto the ridge. Mm-hmm. So we actually dumped a ton of time in there, and we thought we'd blown the race in there uh, before we even got onto the ridge. <laughs> yeah. So when we were onto the ridge, I, I basically knew where we were. I mean, I couldn't pinpoint it to within a, a few hundred meters, um, but we were really concerned in the dark and the fog uh, about dropping into the wrong uh, kind of reentrant or canyon on the other side. So that was why we kind of bailed back down to the lake and then took another shot at it just to make sure we were 100% there. And I was having a lot of trouble with sleep deprivation leading up to that point as well, so I kept losing track of where I was on the map. And I just wanted to be 100% sure before we dropped off, uh, and we didn't want to get cliffed out or anything like that. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. We definitely struggled on that ridge, but I think we struggled a little bit longer leading up to that. But, again, I I think that was a lot to do with sleep deprivation (laughs) leading up to that point. Yeah. So I mean, in that point, you just you just went back, found found a spot, and started over again. I mean, yeah, we went back to the the lake. We just wanted to relocate and then take an accurate bearing from the lake back up to the ridge, so we knew exactly where we were when we dropped over. Um, and it's funny looking at the routes the other teams took after the race. I mean, it was surprising to see where everyone ended up because the top three teams we all ended up in different locations along that ridge. Um, and I was surprised that, you know, our route would have worked out had we gone over the first time. Um, you know, we just took that. It's funny, we were right in the right location, but we just didn't take that risk. And I was just afraid to take that risk in the dark and the fog to drop down into too steep of a gully. But, um, yeah, it was surprising to see where everyone went up there. That was really cool, actually. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, probably kind of fun. So have have you ever had a race where you did everything different than anybody than everybody else and it worked out or is does it kind of always end up the top teams you guys all kind of go the same way yeah no definitely there's been times where you know we've taken a different route and never for like uh, obviously not the entire race but um for sections for sure i remember uh, when the world champs were in newfoundland 
we were kind of running with a lead pack on the first big trek, and we took a completely different route than everyone everyone else, and, you know, it worked out for us where we got to the next checkpoint first, but then everyone kind of catches up, and then you run in a lead pack again for a little bit, but, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the one of the fun parts of navigating and being the navigator is, you know, trying your plan and sticking to it when other teams maybe go a different way and then kind of seeing how it plays out and you hope you make the right decision. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. So I, I think that's a big part of the racing that I enjoy a lot of. Is, yeah, is that mental aspect and, yeah, thinking thinking that you know something everybody else doesn't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, but, um, okay, I'm going to throw you under the bus here just a little bit. What, no problem. What's the uh, worst nav mistake you've ever made? Jeez, <laughs> uh, boy, I don't know. I mean, that one in uh, the one in Africa stands stands out because it was recent and it and it could have possibly won us the race. Yeah. Um, but there was a really funny one I made before I had that parallel feature error. Um, I'd never made this mistake in a race, and it's funny. I teach the the navigation clinics all the time, and we're constantly reminding people, you know, to, you know, make the the bezel lines face north on the map and, you know, make sure your direction of travel is going in the proper direction. And I made that mistake uh, in that race before we got into that valley. I set my compass. It was really hard to take bearings off those maps because they didn't have a grid on them. And I was using words because the words are usually written to north. So I was just using words on the map yeah. to take bearings from with the, an east-west line that was on the compass um so i made a 180 degree error <laughs> the same thing we teach people all the time that was pretty bad i mean i blame that one on sleep deprivation and we caught it within about 15 minutes um but we wasted you know a half hour there and that seemed pretty critical in hindsight because that was kind of right near the end of the race but yeah. i can't think of any like really really bad ones i think when i first started out i made quite a few mistakes um definitely the one that a lot of new teams make is you know not going or yeah not going as far as you think you've gone kind of thing and you start kind of going in circles and you just got to keep going a little bit further um especially where i learned to navigate in ontario it's a lot of lakes and forests and you're kind of navigating through the forest all the time and it's almost like being in a fog until you come to another lake or a feature you can identify so um, I definitely made that mistake a lot when I was learning, and it took a, f- a few of those lessons to to get that one figured out. So yeah. So well, it's cool. It's I think people are going to be happy to know that they they make the same mistakes you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I think everyone learns the hard way with this sport. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that is that that's it. Um, how do you? I mean, I everybody just deals with it, but how do you deal with when you get a really crappy map? you know, with the trails drawn in and do you, I mean, do you rely on anything that a race organization puts on or you just strictly look at the terrain then? Yeah. Geez, I guess it all depends on what's bad about the map. You know, if if you can rely on certain things on the map, I think that's what I probably look for. I probably try and find what's the most reliable feature on the map. If there's no contours on it, well then, okay, if these are trails and, you know, you can you rely on the trails? Are they GPS or are they, you know, like cartoon trails? And then we'll maybe just got to look for the junctions and maybe you can rely on the junctions and then maybe you'll just be wandering around a trail. But, yeah, probably just look trying to figure out what the most reliable 
feature is on the map and then using that and trying to block out the other stuff. And that goes for pretty accurate topographic maps as well. You know, if you get an old map, you know, you got to look for the reliable stuff on the map, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell people the, the topo map, the topo map that our house is in does not have the paved highway that goes yeah. to our house. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's where navigation becomes an art. It's, it's almost like you have to, you have to figure out what's there, what's not there. And, and I mean, that's the real trick. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Especially in uh, the expedition races when the maps can be old and absolutely there's uh, and there's just, you know, basic route finding sometimes becomes uh, the problem with maps, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's a trail that goes through an area, but just kind of getting lucky and getting on the right trail kind of thing yeah. can, can be the problem. So, yeah. So what was, what was um, the nav like for, for Costa Rica? I mean, you know, I've talked to a few people about worlds, but I mean, was it, how was it for you? Easy, hard, medium? Um, I'd say the, boy, I mean, the, the navigation, it was definitely hard, the the race. Like, navigating that race was, was difficult. You had to pay attention a lot. Uh, the mangroves, I thought, were a blast. I really enjoyed that. Um, I had some experience paddling in mangroves in southern Florida, and it was very similar terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, and I, that was one of the more fun times I'd done some paddling navigation was down in the Everglades in Florida so it was that really helped with us navigating through the mangroves there I thought that was a great challenge going through that section um the biking was was not terrible I mean most of the roads were there and you just had to pay attention so I, I thought the biking was good I mean it was definitely challenging but not not too crazy and then um the big trek through the middle, um, I, I don't know that the navigation was particularly hard, but um, we, we lost a ton of time going through the second half of the trek, and it was more just finding trails and route finding as opposed to the navigation being difficult. Um, we were really cautious about not wanting to go off trail. Obviously, it's the jungle and pretty thick and nasty when you got off trail. It was pretty tough going, so... We were always just trying to find the right trail, and we we struggled with that quite a bit. We lost lots of time. I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams did, but we probably lost six, eight hours just messing around trying to get on the right trail. I think it happened to us like four or five times where we'd be in the same location an hour later, and we're like, shit, what just (laughs) happened there kind of thing. So, yeah, that, that, that I think was probably the biggest thing that hurt us in dropping out of the top three was that navigation coming down through that valley. So, and it wasn't really that the navigation was tough. It was just the route finding and finding and staying on the right trail was really hard for us through that leg. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what I've heard. I mean, it's funny. You look at the map and it's like, well, yeah, you just get on the ridge and then go down the valley. How hard is that? (laughs) Exactly. I know. (laughs) I think that's what everyone was thinking too, but yeah, it was just a maze of trails in there, and it was it was quite tricky just to just to find the right trail. And we got super lucky at one point. We'd been messing around in the river valley for a while. At one point, we got down into the riverbed, and we were trying to just follow the the gravel bars down, and then we ran into a big rapid, and it was all kind of canyoned in. We had to backtrack a bit, and we ran into a local guy, and he pointed us in the direction of a trail that we had no idea it existed, and probably saved us a couple hours so even though we made a lot of mistakes we got lucky at one point too so it was it was bizarre it was tough going through there so you know i well i talked to kyle but i didn't i don't think i asked him did any of you guys speak any spanish 
Karen was our Karen was our uh, translator. Okay. <laughs> she speaks pretty good Spanish, um, not a hundred percent, but yeah. um, definitely having a fluent Spanish speaker would have helped a lot more through there. I think. Yeah, that's, I, I would think so. Yeah, because pointing only pointing in certain directions only gets you so far, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, and they they the locals we found they'd understand. You kind of can tell whether, and then you're relying on really whether they know where they're going or if you've been able to convey your destination to them well enough. So um, we asked a lot of locals, as many as we could, going through there, and I think half the time the advice was probably good, and half the time it probably wasn't. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's the other art. No one, no one who knows what they're talking about. Who does? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, so let's kind of backtrack here a little bit. You notice I have no flow, so. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. <laughs> were, did you did you do anything? I mean, were you an athlete before you started, or an outdoors person before you started adventure racing? Uh, I I took outdoor ed in high school. That's probably, and I mean, we went on like camping trips when I was a kid. So that was probably my start in the outdoors. Yeah. And then uh, as far as team sports grow, uh, growing up in Canada, I played lots of hockey growing up. Um, so that was kind of, you know, I played a lot of sports, actually. I was lucky I got introduced to a lot of sports. So I think it was the adventure racing was appealing to me because it combined those two passions, you know, the outdoors and camping, canoe tripping, that kind of stuff with the uh, the competition side of you know team sports and I love the team aspect as well so um, I dabbled a little bit just for fun and like I ran a marathon and tried some triathlons it was just kind of a, something I thought would be neat to try before I started adventure racing so that was that was kind of my sporting background yeah so so it it what I'm finding is people have either come from your background or they were you know Nathan Favi was a you know national caliber mountain bike racer so. It, it's interesting to see where people come from and how they get into it. Yeah, I agree. It really is, and it, it's a it's a unique sport, and you know it's not going to attract everyone, but uh, the right person with the uh, you know that they get uh, intrigued by it, it just kind of grabs you, right? So yeah. yeah, I think people come from all over. I think that's one of the neat things about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from your point of view, do you th you think the sport's growing a little bit? Is it? I mean. You know, you, well, you see in, a lot of stuff in Canada and stuff, so I'm I'm kind of curious. Yeah, in uh, in Ontario, um, it was steadily growing. Like we we run a an Ontario point series kind of thing, and we can track the we can track participation a little bit there. And we were definitely seeing steady growth for you know about five years, five to six years leading up to maybe just a couple of years ago and then I think we took a little bit of a hit with the explosion in popularity of the obstacle course racing mm -hmm. um, so I think it, we lost we, we probably stagnated for a year or two but I think we might be growing again um, now this year because we're seeing people start to cross over looking for something more adventurous from from that sport so yeah. in Ontario specifically the the sports quite healthy we see somewhere between two and three thousand participants you know over maybe probably 10 or 12 events over over the course of a season kind of thing so um, it's actually pretty good um, other parts of the country I know it's not doing as well there some events or a lot of events are kind of sh not not happening anymore and there's not as many events around so I think Ontario is unique in in Canada right now so 
uh, it's very regional, and I think I think it's that way around the world as well, where it's regionally popular and kind of comes and goes based on you know the media attention it's uh, generating and you know the ability of the event organizer to promote it and you know make it look like it's a fun thing to do kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But but globally, I think the sports doing well, especially expedition racing. I mean, there's so many expedition races now compared to 10 or 12 years ago, you know, there might have only been three or four in a year, and now there's like probably 40 or so, you know, 30 or 40 expedition races to choose from. So I think expedition racing is still growing, um, but as we all know, it's a a niche sport, and, you know, there might only be, you know, how many hundreds or maybe a thousand people that will try an expedition race in a year, right? It's a a pretty big undertaking. (laughs) Well, it is. I mean, you know, go to a world series race and you know you know 75 percent of the people there yeah exactly you know, there's, there's, you know, <laughs> yeah there's always yeah. a few teams but which is to me is kind of the the joy of the sport too is that aspect of you know like you said karen calls you up and asks you if you want to race and you know there's just a lot of that so i think that's a really cool part of part of the the whole sport yeah, having a, a smaller community and something you can feel more a part of, I guess, yeah, would, that's probably one of the appeals. And, and I mean, if you're willing to put in the time, the, the barrier to entry isn't terrible if you've got the time and the resources kind of thing. And then, yeah, you'll be, you know, we're seeing, actually, my 24-hour race that I host this summer, um, we've got quite a few uh, rookie teams, people that have never tried an overnight race, probably almost. I wouldn't say half, but quite a few of them are are trying it for the first time. So that's that's neat to see as well. Yeah. Well, let's 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 talk about your race for a while. I suppose that's kind of your focus right now, correct? Yeah, a little bit. I do um, contract work for some other event organizers, some obstacle races, some trail running races. So, yeah, I organize three events on my own. One being the the twenty four hour adventure race, and then yeah, summertime's really busy for me, especially this summer working on a lot of events but yeah right now i'm doing the final final preparation for the 24-hour race so yeah it's coming along well i always really like setting that course and setting up that race that's probably my the favorite event that i organize for sure yeah so you gonna divulge any secrets about the race ah, no. <laughs> no way man not yet okay <laughs> so, um... it's cool i i think we're gonna paddle somewhere that's pretty spectacular and special it's a really cool some of the paddling that we're going to do in this race will be pretty neat and um yeah i mean ontario is unique the terrain we have here a lot of the, the people that come from afar that do the race they're they're blown away and they they love it because we really do have you know real wilderness around here where you know there aren't trails um for one of the for the long trek in this year's race you know, it might be 30 kilometers, um, and, you know, over 20 of that is going to be completely off trail, like just bushwhacking or, you know, root finding, following lakes and things like that. And I, I think that's unique, uh, not only in North America, but probably in the world to have access to that type of wilderness. So um, that's what that's what I really like about the race is that it really gets people out there. And for only being a 24-hour race, you'll, you'll feel like you're out there almost like you're in an expedition race for sure. Yeah, cool. I've heard lots of good things about it. So, you know, yeah. Would, you know, and there's something to be said about that when you don't really ever hear anything negative about a race. Obviously, the race director's doing something good. <laughs> well, I'm sure you can find some people to say yeah. <laughs> something negative, but 
be probably more about the experience than uh, hopefully than the uh, the organizing or the organization behind it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, hopefully. Um, here's something that I've another thing that I've been talking to people about. But how many have you always raced with? Like a core group of people, or have you raced with a bunch of different people over your career? Well, I think um, just by virtue of me racing for as long as I have, it definitely changed the the people I race with over the years just based on, I mean, as most people will tell you, fielding an expedition racing team is one of the hardest things you'll do is just getting the the people committed um, to the team and, you know, willing to race. So, um, yeah, no, I've raced on all sorts of different teams and the teammates have evolved over the years based on kind of who I was in contact with and which team I was racing with and all sorts of things. So, um, I can't say that I raced with the same group for more than a couple seasons, uh, over the the whole, the whole course of those probably 13 years or so. Well, I mean, it's nice that there's, you've been been able to find that many people. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) true. (laughs) Of course I'm, I'm guessing if you call up somebody and say, "Hey, can I come race with you?" They're they're probably up for that. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? <laughs> yeah. And I, I was lucky for uh, I got really lucky um, early on. A friend of mine, Dave Corner, uh, we raced together, and he had sponsorship with a company called Supplier Pipeline. And that that sponsorship and that team really let me gain a lot of experience because as we know it's a it's an it's an expensive sport and you know i don't think i would have been able to do two or three races a year for that long so that that lasted like six or seven years um where we had some sponsorship from from that company and that really let me gain the experience uh to compete at a higher level for sure because i mean i'm i know a lot of teams when they start out it seems really daunting and there's a i mean there's so much in this sport that's related to experience um so I was really lucky that that, that opportunity came along. So yeah, well, because I think a lot of teams, you know, they're probably doing one expedition race a year. So you were getting three or four years of experience a year. Yeah, well, and I thought I raced a lot, probably more than most. And then I saw the number of races Kyle had done uh, <laughs> <laughs> in like the past five years, and he, I think he's done more than I have. <laughs> so yeah. well, but <laughs> pretty wild. Yeah, Kyle's Kyle, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, but um, okay. Now that reminds me of another question: When you are training, and we'll we'll say you're still training, but when you're really training, are you a, a workout guy or are you a go out and play hard in the woods guy? Oh, play hard in the woods for sure. Um, I, I had to. You have to temper it a little bit with the workouts, um, and and you know like my favorite workouts were definitely just going for a big ride or, you know, big run or something like that. And just get going out and going long and slow and just kind of going on those big missions. That was always my, my favorite workout. But, um, I, re- I really realized that you had to do the, you know, the specific workouts as well if you wanted to compete at a higher level. Um, so I was doing CrossFit for the past couple of years. There was a local gym here that was supporting me called CrossFit industry. And, I really was surprised at how much that helped uh, with, you know, your body not breaking down as much over over the long haul. Like, my body held up a lot more after I started doing that. And recovery as well. I was recovering way faster these last couple of years after I started doing that. So I was pretty blown away. So I, I know you have to do the, the workouts side as well. But definitely the, the going out and playing was uh, my favorite workout. 
Yeah, I, I, I hear you there. So, um, 13 years, do you have a favorite race you ever did? No, it's impossible. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I mean, geez, like the, your first race, when we finished our first expedition race, that one stands out. But then there was just so many cool places. And, uh, I mean, it's it's a really neat sport in that regard because what I what I found is, you know, the people that put on these events, they're usually quite knowledgeable about the area where the race is going to go. And they take you into this, these amazing places that you mm-hmm. wouldn't experience if you were just a normal tourist or something like that. So, um, I just think we're really lucky to to have people organizing events like that and then being able to experience them. So, um, yeah, it would be impossible for me to choose that. I mean, I could think of a lot of experiences that I really enjoyed, but as far as a, a specific race or a specific place, I would be really tough. Okay, well, then, then here's my other question I ask people. So what's, yeah. your, what's your favorite six hours ever racing, and what's the worst six hours you ever had? Oh, geez, that's tough. <laughs> Um, gee, I mean, I don't know if it would have been the worst six hours, but one of the, the worst experiences I had while racing, and it was more the navigation that drove me crazy, was uh, at the World Champs in Spain in 2010. I struggled so badly in picking the right route in that race, and it, for some reason it was always on the mountain bike leg. Yeah. And I'd never been more frustrated in a race than I was in that race. Um, and I talked to other teams afterwards, and they were like, oh, no, it was no problem. You know, we went through there. This, everything worked out all right. But for whatever reason, whenever there was a, a route choice, and it wasn't getting lost, it was just, you know, picking the incorrect way to go. And, you know, we'd get on a trail, and it would be, you know, not a very well-used trail, whereas, you know, the other option we thought about using um, was right there. And they just looked like they would be about the same amount of time. But, we just seemed to pick the wrong way a lot in that race, and that was really frustrating. By the end, I was I was done. I was like, oh, get me off this race course. <laughs> and it's not often that I feel that way, probably not ever. So that was probably one of my – that's one of the things that stands out. But it's funny when I – still, when you finish a race like that, the sense of relief crossing that finish line, even though we didn't do as well as we'd hoped, was still amazing, and I still really love that finish line <laughs> because of all the difficulty we faced in getting there. So. Yeah. Um, and then the best six hours, oh boy, I don't know. We had, we had a really fun, um, or I was able to participate in Eco Challenge Fiji. Um, I kind of started racing, like I said, my first expedition race was 2001. And then we were lucky enough to do Eco Challenge Fiji in 2002. And we were still a rookie team then. Um, but we did some good navigation at the beginning and then, we had packed these paddles um, in our packs that let us, you know, there was a billy-billy rafting leg, which was basically a big bamboo raft. You paddled down the river. And by the end of the first day in our first Eco Challenge, we were in second place <laughs> because we'd packed these little paddles. Um, they really helped us along there. So that was pretty cool. I think that was a fun uh, a fun part of a race for us because we were young and new and, you know, holy crap, we're in second place. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> So that was pretty neat. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So um, that was was that the last was Fiji the last eco challenge? Or was there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and then did you do any of the primal quests? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I think I missed a couple primal quests, but I did probably four. I know I did. Boy, which ones did I do? We did San Juan Islands, Utah, Montana. Um, I think I did those three. I can't remember if I did another one. Oh, and Lake Tahoe as well. Okay. Yeah, so I did four of the Primal Quests, yeah. for sure. So, yeah, that's uh, a lot of people. 
They're like, man, I wish that race would come back. But um, yeah, I keep hearing rumors every year that it's coming, but yeah. who knows? <laughs> well, here's here's what made me decide it's probably not coming back is the um, Primal Quest domain went away and it's now a holding spot for websites. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah, That's so, funny. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, uh, one of the girls that was involved, Maria Burton, years ago, she actually lives not too far from me. She lives about an hour away, and that was a rumor I'd heard uh, earlier this year was through a friend that mm-hmm. knew her, and they were like, oh, she's thinking about doing it again. It might come back, and but you know, I never heard anything, so yeah. who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think any race that had that name right now would be, you know, we're especially I think in North America, we don't. I mean, we have some really great races, but you know, we got Untamed and Gold Rush and the Cowboy Tough and you know some of the Canada stuff. But there's just not that one one race that everybody knows. And if yeah, it's you know what, it's really tough. I've looked at hosting an expedition race a number of times, and anyone that organizes an expedition race, I mean, you got to take their hats off to them. It's a massive undertaking. Um, the the financial reward is minimal at best. Yeah. You know, it's a, not really with the reason they're doing it they're mostly doing it based on passion um and it's a it's a it's a big undertaking so um yeah my hat's off to all those guys that have organized expedition races in the past but yeah it's a tough call i mean i think you need the right people and with a lot of connections there needs to be almost a consortium of of you know really good people in their fields to pull off an event like primal quest or you know those big big expedition races with television and all that stuff so yeah it's tough yeah. Are your races in Canada? I mean, you're not you're not part of a group, but are are a lot are races done by commercial people or are they all kind of uh for the love of the sport? Uh I mean everything gets set up as a it has to be organized by a company, yeah. um, or like something that's for profit. There aren't well, I guess, you know, you could go the, the club model the way orienteering has gone. And I've often thought adventure racing might end up there um just because the amount you need to charge for an entry fee um based on you know the profit you could try and generate as a company and the amount of time it takes it just doesn't really work out um unfortunately so um yeah most most of the events up here as far as i know are organized by um companies but they're like just guys like me they're not like you know marketing companies or anything like that they're just people with passion for the sport that you know, want to see the events happening kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. down here we've got, you know, rev three that are doing does cowboy tough, but they've got trail runs and mm-hmm. triathlons and, and, you know, they've got, I think they do at least one race a week every year, you know, mostly on the East coast. So, um, see. Yeah. That's amazing. The, the, the amount of races they're able to organize, uh, yeah. that's pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I mean, I hope they get the return uh, uh, that they're looking for, and you know the experience they're hoping with the the expedition races. Or I mean, I did the Cowboy Tough. We did it last yeah. year, and um, it was a good event. It was it was neat. There were some things they could work on, and I think they're they're trying to improve for for this year. But yeah, yeah. it'd be cool to to see what they're able to do. But I mean, I don't I don't know that there's very few expedition races that. You know, I think they have a lifespan based on the organizer's passion and how much time they can afford to commit to it, right? Because all all the expedition races, you know, there's not very many that have been around for, you know, more than 10 years or anything like that, so. Yeah, I think Grant might have the right idea, you know, alternate an expedition with a 24-hour 
every year. So, Yeah, it's not a bad idea. And I think Craig uh, Bycroft in Australia, he runs his, I think it's like every 18 months or something yeah. like that. So yeah. uh, I know a lot of the larger sailing events happen every couple of years or every, you know, yeah. other something like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough thing to do uh, annually for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know why sailing reminds me of this, but what do you think about uh, national teams for world championships? You know what? I was on board with that uh, that idea. I was a little bit bummed that they they went back on it, but I know they were getting uh, a lot of feedback from from teams that wanted it to be, um, you know, a little bit more leniency on the rule. So I understand why they did what they did, but um, I thought it would be cool to to get the nationality thing going. And I I agree with the original thought on the process that it probably in the long run would generate more interest in. Um, you know, the viewership might increase when people could cheer for their countries because, you know, it's just kind of the way sport goes uh, at that national level. Um, So I liked it. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you would have figured out a team, and I was actually kind of looking forward to trying to build a Canadian team and, you know, thinking about people and, you know, who could race and who could do this and that. So, um but yeah, I mean, I see both sides of it. I think it probably would have hurt participation a little bit for a couple of years until, you know, countries were able to develop um, athletes that could compete at that level, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And that's exactly what Craig told me. He said, "Yeah, it's going to hurt for a while, but in the long run." So we'll, yeah. We'll so who knows? I mean, they can always switch. I mean, and I think they're now going to be recognizing teams by one country they're not going to have like you know multi multiple flags on a a team or something like that so who knows i mean maybe they'll gradually build it in a little bit later on down the road so yeah yeah, makes sense yeah maybe at least at least Thule should have at least one suite on their team (laughs) (laughs) yeah right yeah Yeah, i know it's pretty cool (laughs) Uh, but it's also a cool part aspect of the sport right yep. that people from different countries get together and you know yeah. they can go out a race so yeah, yeah it's, i mean there's pros and cons for all that stuff yeah when uh paulette did P- patagonia the last time it was four continents and it was her from north america we had a czech a czech and australian and a australian living in kazakhstan so what other wow. sp- what other sport <laughs> has that right <laughs> yeah it's i think it's the sport is very unique in that regard that it, you know, it attracts few people, but it, it's cool that it attracts people from all around the world in that way. And everyone has that, uh, that passion. Yeah. So it's neat. It is. Yeah. Well, and now I guess that's the other thing I think about is with the internet that can happen. And, you know, that's, that's how people are following races. So I think that's a boon for us. Yeah. I mean, uh, Boy, the stuff you can do on the internet now. I mean, I think that's why the explosion of obstacle course racing happens so fast. Yeah. It's all social media and stuff like that. And I think we're doing a little bit of catch up. I think at the, in the early days, uh, adventure racing was kind of at the forefront of using the internet mm-hmm. and um, you know utilizing all the tools available there. But I think we may have stagnated a little bit and not kept up with things. I know I'm guilty of that with the races I host. It took me a while to you know get some social media stuff going and all the rest of that. But there's so many cool things you can do with respect to viewership and following uh, adventure races online. It's like, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, it'd be neat, but it's, it's in the same vein, it's expensive and comes down to entry fees and all the rest of that. So, but, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's great. I still think the best 
adventure racing website like following an event was probably the Primal Quest Utah website. They put a lot of money and invested in that website and it was awesome. Like you could I remember you could look at videos for the teams while the race was happening. They indexed it all by team and you know, they had the tracking obviously going on and it was it was a really well thought out site. But again it's super expensive to do that, yeah. right? So Well <laughs> here's the here's the thing is it's it's getting a lot cheaper. And I and I don't know if I'm going to post this before or after Untamed New England, but um, we've we've actually got a lot of things, new things that we're going to be trying. And uh, cool, um, we'll see. And it it really has gotten, you know, a camera and an internet connection. I think we're going to be posting a lot of stuff that people haven't seen. So uh, that's great. And <laughs> yeah, I've I've thought. I mean, giving each team a camera and almost making it a requirement that they film, you know, yeah. at least an hour or two hours, and then you give it to someone to edit it all together. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's an unbelievable amount of really compelling programming that would probably happen during an expedition race, yeah. and that's the difficulty is capturing it. But, I mean, it's tough because you don't know what kind of quality you're going to get from teams that aren't really um, experienced with using a camera. But really it's those, you know, those, funny shots were not necessarily funny but you know maybe the quality isn't great but you're capturing either the argument or you know the team getting lost or you know the breakdown and um, but you also have, also have to have forthcoming teams that are willing to film and share that stuff which really is the compelling uh, the compelling part of yeah. what happens in the races right so yeah so it's tough yeah. but you're right i agree i think there's a lot of stuff we can do yeah well um if you're out course testing with Barb, ask her about yeah. ask her about arguments on trail and video. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She'll she is going to start laughing and then she's probably going to say some nasty words about me. But um, nice. <laughs> I got I, I filmed her with um, running free at New uh, Untamed three years. Yeah, ago. I remember for sure. <laughs> yeah. And to me, that's still the best moment of adventure racing, is is watching them argue, but they weren't arguing. And yeah. Uh, and then. You know? Well, they're Canadian, right? Yeah. They're they're keeping it civil, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, so people. Nice. Don't, and then Barb will have nasty things to say about me, but she's a good. Person. I'm sure she loves you drawing attention to that yeah. continuously. <laughs> well, we've she's staying at our house when she comes to Rogaine World, so I think I'm allowed to give her a little grief. <laughs> oh it was you know what i agree it was great i mean that's the that's what happens yeah. you get sleep deprived people and you know they're in these intense situations and trying to figure out what to do and you know, oh yeah it's yeah. i mean that was what uh eco challenge did so well is they captured that social part of the events yeah. and you know the teams in fighting and stuff like that right yeah. so yeah. Uh, that's that's that was compelling tv for sure it is so so all right, I've got one more question for you, and then I'm going to let you get back to your drink with an umbrella in it. But Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, when you start packing to go, go on an expedition race, if you, if even if you started a month before, are you still packing the night before you leave? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Absolutely. I don't know why it happened. Well, I can't remember an event where it wasn't, the yeah. day before, you know, the morning of, still putting the finishing touches on, putting all that gear in the bag. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's universal. So, we're, we're and that's one of the, that's one of the things I'm enjoying most about uh, not going to expedition races this year is not having to pack and accumulate all that gear. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
the race gets easy when it starts, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, hey, Bob, it's been really great talking with you. This is really fun. So, um, great. You too, Randy. Yeah, and thanks for uh, doing all these interviews. They're, they're fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm really enjoying getting to know people a little more. And, and uh, you know, it's like, I don't know, we've done two or three races together, and I don't know if I've ever been able to talk to you for more than two or three minutes because it's, you know, there's just not a lot it's of time. true. So. Yeah, it's amazing. The community's small, but uh, like you said, the amount of time and before and after races, you're busy, and depending on who you run into, it, it's really funny how you, you meet the different people you get close with in these sports. So, yeah, it's neat that you're able to, you're getting, you're being able to meet different people. It's fantastic. Yep, and people are, people seem to enjoy the podcast. They really are like listening to what you guys have to say, so. Uh, ah, cool. Very cool. Yep. <laughs> so, all right, everybody. Um it's been a great talk with Bob, and uh, go fast, take chances, and don't turn your compass 180 degrees. <laughs> nice. Take care, Randy. Thanks again, eh? All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. Nice King of the Impossible!